Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Front Office Podcast. I am your host, Derek Dawson. Welcome back, is I guess of what we'll say. I'll be doing solo for a little bit. Greg's on a little hiatus. He's running 10-mile marathons and hiking trails and running up beaches and riding bikes. I should probably get to that too. Uh, But he'll be joining us later on in different episodes, as well as all of the other fellas who joined us in in times past. I'm going to go a little solo right now. I just wanted to get sports back on the podcast scene. Um, I'll be joined frequently by Brent the Neighbor. Brent's the baseball and boxing junkie. Uh, I'll be joined by different people that we've come across uh, in life. Um, I'll be joined by a, a buddy, Sean Gant worker. I call him Sean G. Uh, he's, a, he's a young kid uh, who worked with me when I was in Sacramento as, at the same time, and we've stayed in touch with each other. Um, and he'll be joining me soon today on this first installment of the Front Office Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. My shooting guard. Call him Sean G. Welcome Sean Gantworker to the show. Hey Sean, what's going on with you, buddy? Nothing much. Just out here uh, enjoying basketball being back. Beautiful, uh, beautiful Arizona. Oppressively hot, so uh, no choice but to stay inside and uh, just enjoying my time. You know what, Sean? I'm so happy that basketball is back because it's given everyone a little bit of a, a nice little... Um, you, you know, in the old movies, when when you see a puddle in the street and the gentleman takes his coat off and he wipes and he puts the coat down so the lady can walk over the puddle. Mm-hmm. Basketball is that is is that jacket, and we're all kind of walking over the puddle like, oh, we sure did need. We didn't want to get our high heels dirty, you know. <laughs> Absolutely, it is our bridge over troubled water. I these, definitely enjoy it. It's trouble times. Definitely, definitely. So these first couple of days, what are we on? Like game three. I guess in the bubble, game four. I, I think so. Yeah, game game four. I want to say. Let's see. Uh, I have three words that I want to say. T. J. Warren. What? <laughs> I I know, right? It's it's fun to watch him. Hopefully, figure it out because you s- watch him out of school. You're like, okay, volume score. Maybe not the focal point of this offense. Because he had so much talent around him, and then he's just bouncing around with the Suns and everything. He just wasn't in the right situation, and somehow the Pacers just like rub their magic wand on you, and immediately you're efficient. <laughs> you play within the offense, and you're just a contributor. You know, I thought about that as well, and I remember um, being told that when Steph Curry was in college, his shooting may not translate because of the smaller gym that he played in at Davidson. Um, you know, 5,000 fans is different from 20,000 fans, you know. Um, and and I, I know that that's definitely probably true. I wonder if this is kind of the opposite for a player, maybe even like Warren or anybody else. There's no fans there. It's I can get off now. 
I think so too, because you got to think like, yes, you live for the crowds, right? Right. You want to go out there, you want to get cheered, but what are you doing when you're growing up? You're in an empty gym, right? Putting up shots for a couple hours. That's it. And if anything, or you know, you're on the road with uh, some AAU guys. It's you and your teammates. You're in front of ten, fifteen people, and you're just playing. Right. So I think there is something to be said about. <laughs> about these guys, you, you know, just going back to their roots and, and finding their shot without having to worry about, you know, uh, the, the sound guy playing everybody clap your hands, hands every 45 seconds. You, you know, I think every kid has had that dream of, of the turnaround, jump shot, three, two, one, you know, bottle, um, you know, paper in the garbage can to win the game. And these guys are all kind of like living that because there's no fans to – yell at them and call them bums anymore. And I think that that's kind of, you know, that can do a lot to, to, to the psyche. Mm-hmm. And what do you hear from guys like, you know, Reggie Miller or, or Jordan about like how they just had to tune out the fans, yeah. you know, it was just them, the ball and the hoop. Yeah. You know, you see those isolated stills of <laughs> you just taking a jump shot and absent of all that noise and distraction, I think you do kind of find yourself centered. So Maybe, like we said, something for T.J. Warren. I mean, obviously, he's not playing in front of sold-out capacity right. at you know, North Carolina State right. or, frankly, Phoenix or, or Indiana, but there are distractions that, that get in the way of you just doing your job. So but but could, this be, could this be fool's gold? Because <sighs> one, one day, we're going to be in front of 20,000 fans again. So could this be a possibility? I mean, not to put that kind of mark on anyone. Let's let's hope not. But yeah. how, how do you determine that? Okay, this is when salary negotiations are coming up. Okay, this is uh, bubble contracts, and this is twenty k fan contracts. <laughs> it, it's really tough for me to think that we can take anything from these eight games and even the playoffs because it's just such a weird situation. I mean, even depending on how much of the game you think is mental, we're putting these guys in these this weird circumstance where the entire world, absent out of their little community in Orlando, it seems to be on fire and just telling them to go to work. And then you're expected, what, six to nine months later to go into another season where we don't know what that big picture is going to look like. So seeing what you can see as streaky shooting or even the absence of it, you know, seeing a guy who just can't hit the broadside of a barn anymore. Well, I don't think we can take anything out of this outside of seeing how they handle these successes and failures, you know, seeing how they react. If you give up, well, you say, I don't want a player who quits. You see a guy who is still, still going to shoot past those circumstances, still work at his game, even if the numbers aren't translating for this entire experience, then yeah, give him a contract, see what happens. You know, I think that you're absolutely right. This is why Sean's here, you guys. So Sean and I worked together in Sacramento, and, and I saw Sean, and I said, oh, yeah. Remember we used to drive up to Reno to the G League games? Remember we used to, remember we drove up there through those mountains? God, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Just to see, like, uh, 15 minutes of Hassan Whiteside just, try, just trying to prove himself in the league. Right, exactly. Right? Isn't that crazy? Uh, yeah, if you had told me <laughs> right. uh, that he'd still be in the league, frankly, and we'd uh, – We'd still be even in the periphery. I, I I'd be shocked, but it's. I mean, it just tells you how much uh, how great the game is. You, you know, Sean, you you mentioned that point. There was a starting front court of Hassan Whiteside and Demarcus Cousins, and that could had if if hindsight. I mean, it is twenty twenty. 
had we gone back and just said, no, this is what they're going to become, they probably would still be in Sacramento. It's tough for me to say because, I mean, you, you and say I, not, no. to tell, not to tell tales out of school, but there was something going on with DeMarcus that I don't think any kind of coaching could provide. Yeah. I think the kind of stuff that would come through age and experience and even injury, actually, has probably put him in the, a better headspace than he was back then. And with Hassan, I mean, I'll tell you, the first memory I have, this is my first internship out of college, going into going to Sacramento, sitting down, sitting, being sat down in that office and just watching that guy run through the office, um, running through the offices in, uh, in PJs. Yeah. Just to sign white side, you know, yeah. fresh out of school, wearing yeah. PJs, yeah. still wet behind the ears yeah. and, and just thinking like, he's, he's not quite there yet. And he wasn't, you know, he, he, he bombed out of the league and he persisted and worked on his game yeah. and had yeah. the, those years in Miami that got him that contract. Mm-hmm. But it's just a matter of maturity, you know, because that team had Tyreek Evans, right? Isaiah Thomas, yeah, Jammer Fredette, yeah, um, Chuck Hayes, who yeah. we all forget about Chuck Hayes, but that Marcus dude was Thornton, just Marcus Thornton, yeah, uh, yeah. a Bayou guy. Like that team had what you want. You want spacing, yeah. You want that aggressive interior. You yeah. have the guys who can bring down the boards, and you have this uh, presence around the rim that should be able to destroy you. But they just they just couldn't put it together. They just couldn't put it together. And, and if you look exactly. at that team, if you look at that team in Sacramento, Jason Thompson was there as well. God, uh, Jason uh, Thompson. R.I.P. Tyler Honeycutt was there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was that team could have grown together and won together if things had adjusted in the right direction because there was talent on that team. They were in such a bad position with yes. ownership. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm not as down on the Maloofs as everybody else was, but I think clearly something needed to change at the time. They had a tough coaching transition where I think nothing but kind thoughts about Keith Smart, right. but as a coach and an X's and O's guy, I don't think he was the right guy for that team, particularly to last as long as he did. You, had they been able to even go to a guy like George Carl years earlier than they actually did, because I think when they reached him, it was probably the bad time. But getting a guy who's just going to put these guys through their paces. Yeah. I'm going to say Mike Malone would have been, had they got Mike Malone earlier. Or just not giving up on him. That was right. a huge mistake, or just not as we, up as on we him. know now Definitely. from what that was he's a doing huge in Denver. Mistake. But Malone was the right guy. Yes. That was a huge mistake. Because Denver, <laughs> Denver is what Sacramento could have been. Oh, yeah, and Denver has a front office, too, that recognizes a guy like Mike Malone, where I think, I believe it was P. D'Alessandro, yeah. who was the guy who um, ended up being around in the Mike Malone era, and yeah. he just he just had a very uh, mismatched sensibility about what they were looking for in terms of a team. Yeah, Pete came from, he came from Denver to Sacramento, correct? Yeah, yeah that's definitely, right. Definitely. I, think missing, I think when Pete missed out on Andre Iguodala, remember that? Mm-hmm. I think that that kind of turned the, the, the King's fortunes like, okay, total, well, they've been re- rebooting, so I guess it's not a total reboot. It's a continuous reboot. I think missing yeah. on a couple of those picks, you know, that Jimmer, I mean, and every team can say that, you know, that Jimmer pick, that Thomas Robinson pick. Uh, oh, God. You, yeah, those picks. I was, I was convinced that Thomas Robinson would form an insane backcourt with DeMarcus Cousins because even if he couldn't get a shot, that dude would crash the boards, and he was just... I thought Thomas Robinson was a walking thirteen and thirteen guy. I thought he was Charles Oakley, yeah, with spring. 
I thought he was going to be uh, what Charles Oakley was to Patrick Ewing, and he was going right? to be DeMarcus Cousins that way. It just just goes to show you, I think I would talk myself into every Sacramento draft pick oh, after yeah. a while. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, and the crazy thing about it is, like the Morris twins. I thought Thomas Robinson was a Morris triplet. Yes. <laughs> I thought he was a trip. Thomas Morris. A weird team of guys yes. coming out of Kansas. We play the same, we fight the same, we bite the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah, if you had told me that Marcus and Markeith would still be in the league and producing and a guy like Thomas Robinson couldn't score like 13 minutes for the Brooklyn Nets, like I, I tell you we were crazy. But If you told me that the Morris twins would be in the league and well-respected, I would say, really? Okay. <laughs> They're just the veteran guys that you get off the waiver wire and you, say, all right, this we is love my you. rotation. Come here and teach these young guys how to be tough. And you can yell and scream at them, and they're going to listen to you. Yeah. <laughs> what are they going to do, beat you up? Nah. <laughs> it's two of us. <laughs> exactly. I would not yeah. pick a fight with either yeah. of them. With Tomats or Zaymot. I don't want either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so... Um, with this bubble, mm-hmm. and then, ah, oh, Jaron Jackson, you hurt my heart. Oh. I know, right? I thought Memphis was going to get into that eighth seed. They were going to lock heads with Portland, but I thought they were going to eventually beat Portland. But now it looks like maybe Portland, and you kind of want to hope New Orleans, they both fight for that 8-9 spot, right? I'd love to see that. I think, too, that Portland's probably going to seal it up relatively soon. And I I would hope that New Orleans, just as a basketball fan, can get some sort of consistency out of Zion and out of Ball. Because just as a fan alone, I want to see what a powerful pick and pop between them looks like. Yes, I'm not sure it's going to come. But with Memphis, I mean, we were talking just watching them develop together and grind out games and how fun that was. And Mm -hmm. seeing Brooks and John Morant take the bull by the horns and then Jackson. And now they're just at a point where... You're going to have to give the ball more to Brandon Clark and Jonas yeah. Valanciunas around the interior, and that's never an ideal situation. Like, they're they're well, good players, but they're not the focal points of your interior attack. Don't sleep on Brandon Clark. Don't I sleep do, on I him. I do like him. Yes. He's a great first big off the bench. Yes. And if some guys, if Jaron gets hurt a little bit, he can come in and play 10, 15, well, now the rest of the season. Well, same. Um mm-hmm. And I, when they go small, I can see him playing with Jaron. I can you know? see that, too. Yeah, definitely. But Dylan Brooks, I love that kid. Of course I love John Morant. You know, um, it's just I wanted to see Jaron Jackson and, and with Memphis kind of push the Lakers in that first round. I think that would have been a nice little tune-up for them to get their feet wet like the Westbrook Harden and Durant had to do in OKC. Oh, yeah. A couple trial runs before they get the right combination or the right amount of exactly. veterans. I did think to so do I thought they were gonna raise some hell. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Now, and maybe frankly, they, miss- they still might. I mean, if you believe in Bill Simmons's Ewing theory, then maybe they will coalesce into a weird, a weird kind of proxy team. But they're well, just not that. And I'm not saying Jaron Jackson's trash because he's not trash by any stretch. Um, mm-hmm. But they can survive Jaron Jackson as opposed to John Morant. Oh yeah, you I know, mean John Morant is the engine. Yeah, it just all depends on what Dylan. If Dylan Brooks can take that next step. Up now, we need you really now. Or if Brandon Clark can kind of be that band aid, yeah, you know. Uh, and I think he'll do he'll do it he'll do his best. Like Clark's got a nice work ethic, 
and he's got a nice little tweener size that will let him kind of shore things up, whether you want to play big or small. But it's not an ideal situation, especially when there's like four more games to figure out what you're going to do. Right, right. Who um, who benefit? Or which team didn't make the bubble? Which which team do you think it hurt the most? Just in terms of a development. Yes. I mean, I really liked. Let me think. I, I liked what the Hawks were doing. Definitely. Particularly with Trey Young really seeming to to find consistency and and being the leader for that team. And I think they have a lot of potential. I mean, I feel like we've said this about the Hawks for the last two decades. <laughs> you know, even when there was Joe Johnson and Josh Smith. But oh, yeah. Surely this combination of players is going to figure it out. Definitely. Because that's the same kind of team they had back then. A lot of young Al Horford's, Mike Bibby's, A.C. Laws, jo- Joe Johnson, Josh Smith, Marvin Williams. They had a lot of guys on that team that could play and, and go different positions. Like this Hawks team, again, I, I, I do think they kind I mean, hindsight again, I bet if they re- could redo it, they would take Tyler Hero over Cam Reddish, though. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, they would have taken yeah. With, without a doubt, that's gonna haunt them a little bit, and and that and that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> you put Trey and Tyler together, that and that is gonna haunt them definitely. I know um, what's so weird is drafting, you know, Reddish and then DeAndre Hunter, right? And having them have similar size profiles, and right. both guys you want to work in their shot, work on their shots. Well, I think and Hunter's, I think Hunter's gonna be more that uh, four spot when they go small with Collins at the five. You know, yeah, I think he's more of the uh, Grant Williams in Boston kind of guy. Yeah, he's six six, but he's big. You know, yeah, I can see that. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And and so Cam and Herder can play the two and the three around Trey when they go really small. Yeah. And it depends on what they get with this pick because if they get Anthony Edwards, you watch out. Oh God, I I love Anthony Edwards. You watch out, and he's home, and that's home. You watch out. Little Georgia action. That's right. Yeah. Because they have the bigs as well with Capella and Deadman. That's why I think Atlanta could have really used this bubble. They should have just let Atlanta go in. <laughs> Come on, you go to that, Home potential. That's why I was a little excited about the idea of the second bubble. Right, right. Give these guys some reps. Hopefully convince the Bulls that they really should fire Jim Boyland. That's a personal thing. What's wrong uh, with Chicago? What's wrong with the Bulls? Uh, ownership. Um, they are uh, far too loyal for their own good. And I respect loyalty in a sense that you're giving these people opportunities other people wouldn't and running a team like a family. But when you're in a media market that large with a basketball legacy that strong, you do not need to give people trial and error chances for over a decade. Just find something that works and go for it. So, because they, they messed up with, with, with Coach Tibbs. Yeah. And they messed up with the Jimmy Butler trade. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, well, actually, Levine and Markinen, I'll take that. And Chris Dunn is yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that. I I think though they could, you know, shoot your shot, right? Right. I bet Minnesota would rather have Levine and Markinen. <laughs> I, I think so too, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, although Jimmy Butler did uh, get some good yelling in at, uh, at their young core. So. What is Jimmy Butler thinking about T.J. Warren right now? <laughs> <laughs> we, 
yeah, well, where is this coming from? <laughs> and, and, and where, and right, and when they play, what is acceptable for TJ Warren to score against Jimmy Butler? <laughs> never. You can never, never even do a pump fake against Jimmy Butler. So if, if, if TJ Warren scores 25 points on Jimmy Butler, who won the fight? I guess TJ. Yeah. What's, right? the, what's the number? 19? Because Jimmy thinks TJ is garbage. I think uh, I think uh, anything more than 16 points okay. in Jimmy Butler's mind would be an incredible failure. Yes. I think he needs to hold him to nine points for Jimmy. If he scores 10, he'll be mad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If TJ Warren scores 10 Jimmy points, Ray. Jimmy Butler's mad. Yeah. Oh, can't wait Looking to see that. Bad side. Can't wait to see that. We must have this out. I got to see when they play because this has to be out before that. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. that. <laughs> Lock them down. Definitely, definitely. So, what do you, um, back to the Bulls. Marketing, Wendell Carter, Otto Porter, Zach Levine, Kobe White, Chris Dunn, Denzel Valentine. They have players. Yeah. And I, in- office that they have now I think it's obviously six or seven years too late but they've got guys back full actual basketball sensibilities who seem like they're not going to be wedded to dra- these draft picks anymore because they're not their guys and you know go out and make moves that need to be made because Gar Foreman and John Paxton are always so trigger shy to make the necessary adjustments around the edges well you know get these guys an actual core so just in terms of what they need, I mean, it depends on whether you think Colby White and Zach Levine is an actual backcourt that can initiate offense for other guys rather than just themselves. Because I right. think ideally you want a floor general. Right. And one of them may have to go because they both can put the ball in the hole. But one I, of I them needs to help someone else score. And they found towards the end of the season something that seemed to work where Colby White just just go off and Zach could still get his. Right. And if you can make that happen consistently, then, you know, God bless. And maybe put a guy like Cole Anthony in there from the from the draft class. Maybe have him be that engine. It's just hard to draw any conclusions when when one half of the Bulls' young core is working, the other core, the other half never is. Right. Well, you're saying I'm, Cole Anthony with Kobe White and Zach. I I wonder. I wonder if that's too too many. Too much, too many ball handlers. Yeah, that's it's too many guys. To that's say. too many guys who needs who need the ball. So you got to oh, find God. a guard who loves getting. Who you got to find Lonzo Ball or Lamelo even. Or Lamelo, right? Yeah, or I want to get Hayes. to the ball. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You find. But I a, think a, the issue is uh, God or who even has decided the Bulls are going to have the, the seventh overall pick of the draft until the apocalypse. Right. You, you know, you're well on the bubble of that lottery talent more often than not. Right. And you're stuck getting guys that aren't necessarily the right fit but have the most potential. And after you know. Well, <laughs> this is the year you get the seventh pick and get uh, Dina Abadija. I like him. And if he might be around at the seventh pick. Mm-hmm. And, and that could be. And that's where you can you can kind of get your small forward and just let him sit there and learn for a few years. Because I hear this guy is like a silky ball handler with shot and he's got and he's long. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, 6'8 with that kind of defensive, with that kind of skill set all around. Tenacious, good energy. Like, he's the prototypical guy that you'd hopefully want uh, want in there. Yes, definitely. See, so you can grow, grow with those guys. I wonder if he's redundant in terms of what they're looking for for Laurie Markkinen. But frankly, if Markkinen plays this year, he's not really a part of their core. Which does. I mean, he's got all the potential in the world, but if he can't get a shot down, then yeah, maybe he is replaceable for, for a kid like that. Yeah. Um, I think that the Bulls, because the, the Knicks could use LaMelo Ball. I think the I think Lamelo Ball in New York is is the ideal situation. It was like Zion in New York, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Even though they got R.J. Barrett, I, I still have high hopes for R.J. Barrett. I have high hopes for Kevin Knox, you know. Um, I think they need a floor general who can whose sole responsibility is to get them the ball. And I think Lamelo Ball in New York is that guy. I could see that, and I think working under Thibodeau would be a good situation. Definitely. Just in terms of getting rid of the distractions and working on his game. And Thibodeau work, has some sort of pixie dust that he's worked with every point guard he's ever worked with. Only guy it didn't work with was Marcus Teague, you know, but everyone else was able to either find some sort of career resurgence or, right. or make a nice ball player out of themselves. So, if, I, I think so Tibbs, it's a great situation that he I, could walk into. Definitely. I think Tibbs... With Lamelo and those other two guys, I think you really have something cooking there in New York. Oh yeah. And then you focus I, on, and then you, and then if Mitchell Robinson can give you anything, him, Todd Gibson, and uh, Julius Randle, you 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 let the bigs kind of support those three young guys, and you let RJ and uh, Kevin Knox be your focal point in the offense. I mean, it's a great situation with Gibson and Portis being there, guys who are familiar with Gibbs, and and the work that he demands, like. Todd Gibson, other than Joaquin Noah, was the focal point that ran that defense for Chicago. Right. That made that work. So you immediately have those building blocks already in place. You can make guys calls, you know, you can tell them what the expectation is. And then, then you got that half of the floor basically nailed down. And like you said, all these young I mean, even with the Bulls and uh, I think we, we kind of think Memphis, the same way. I like the, what these young teams are doing. I like what these young teams are building. I think each team needs a veteran, a Vince Carter-type person, you know, to kind of teach them. Atlanta was, was fortunate enough to to get him and, and kind of teach those young kids how to, like, be professional. You know what I mean? I completely agree. It's the same thing you're seeing in Oklahoma City right now. Yes. With Chris Paul. Yes. Where he has just turned guys into professionals almost overnight. Right. Told them what the expectation is, got them working the system, having Billy Donovan actually look like a competent coach. It's it's really been impressive all around just how that transformed. And you can't underrate the presence of a guy like that, who even if he lost his shot, will still give you the leadership and, and you know, the feeling, you know, the swag. Like, I think that's what Portland's working at with Carmelo Anthony right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. It's just been there before. And even if he's a shell of himself, you don't just lose all that overnight, you know? I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I don't want to miss out the, the little dig at, at Billy Donovan, first of all. I, I heard that, and I heard how you tried to cover it up. But we're going to let it slide. Uh, but yes, you're absolutely, but you're absolutely right. I'll say the same thing in, in respect to, to Chris Paul. 
I was not a Chris Paul fan. I I thought Chris Paul was overrated. I thought Chris Paul was living in LeBron's under LeBron's rings. Like LeBron won, I won. I thought Chris Paul really was was and Chris Paul, please don't come after me. <laughs> Him and the State Farm Army right. destroy you. But I thought Chris Paul was doing things like being the uh, player association rep was because he wanted to look big. Like you know, like LeBron's doing all this stuff. I need to hold up my my end. Like Dwayne Wade is don't he's got rings, so Dwayne Wade doesn't have to do that. Melo is kind of like the fourth guy of that little, you know, whatever. Because the banana know, boat crew. Exactly. So I, I think that Chris Paul is like I need to be on this side of it so that like because I'm not going to get a ring. And Chris Paul was more I need to go to L.A. this that and the other. But now in OKC, my whole entire respect for Chris Paul. I, I have respect for Chris Paul because that's not easy what he's doing. He is teaching those young youngsters how how to play, how to be professional and 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 he's saving Billy John Donovan's career and he's making Sam Presti look like a freaking gen- a continuous genius. <laughs> like the the candle on Sam The candle on Sam Presti was kind of dwindling a little bit. He just added more wax to his candle with all those trades and Chris Paul. He got ten more years with OKC with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Paul George situation worked about worked out about as bad as you ever could have expected. Right. And the fact that they were able to pull out of what should have been a tailspin, and you're working your way up into a six sense, uh, a, a six seed in a still a eleven team conference full of guys gunning for that. It's it's incredibly impressive. Not to mention the fact that. You somehow have a team with Chris Paul as your floor general that's, you know, 10th in defense. Not only that, he's he's teaching the point guard in waiting how to be a point guard while he's running the point guard. (laughs) I never thought he had it in him. I never thought Chris Paul could do that. Like, this is how you play point guard, Shay. This is how you play point guard. I'm going to teach you how to play it while you score all these points, while when I'm done. You're gonna be the man. Mm-hmm. I like Darius Blazley. I like uh, Diallo. Mm-hmm. I like Dort. <laughs> I love those guys, and and I love the 15 picks they have coming. It's it's gonna be just a, a murderer's row. Like if you, even if you consolidate some of those picks, spread I'm not them out and to increase your depth. Like. I'm not consolidating anything, Sean. I got 15 picks. I want them all. My G League picking team. everybody? I'm picking everybody. You know why? Because my G League team is right across the street. So all oh, of them will be playing in that G League. And we're going to have the best farm system. And we're going to be plucking guys in and out, in and out, in and out. I control them for the first seven years. They're going to want to stay because now they're brothers because they've been playing with each other since they came in. I'm telling you, Sam Presti is, is showing you the blueprint. It's going to be, Sam Presti is going to make this like baseball. I sh- I'll show you how your minor league team is supposed to function. I'll tell you how your minor league team is supposed to function. Well, what's so interesting is that Pres- this is an experiment that Sam Presti has been trying to do for years. You know, until the league, even before the league actually made the, the G League more operable, he was putting guys like Jeremy Lamb, uh, Jerry, uh, Jeremy Lamb down there. Oh yeah, and and just you work here, 
you watch what Kevin Martin does with the pros because that is your place in our system. Yeah. You probably replicate that and then you'll come up and you'll thrive. And it didn't work because yeah. I think circumstances just didn't allow themselves to. But now, now it's there, you know, now you can legitimately have a minor league franchise across the street yeah. and shuffle these guys back and forth. And I think he, that's going to be his, his advantage. And Jeremy Lamb, he was in the Harden trade, right? Yes. Okay, so he started in Houston. He was a lottery pick, wasn't he? That's right, out of, out of beautiful uh, University yeah, of Connecticut. Oh, yeah, that's right. The, your lovely school. He and I, Was Drummond on that team? Uh, he didn't win the championship with them, but he did play a year with uh, <clears throat> Lamb and uh, Shabazz Napier. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so Lamb went to Houston, then he went to OKC. Presty wants to put him in the G League. He's a lottery pick. He took it. He did it. And because Presty wants, he wants these kids. Hey, if I'm gonna have all these kids, I gotta teach them how to be professional. I already have six kids on the Thunder. With these next fifteen picks, these are gonna be kids as well. So, and I'm only using kids, kids in the game. They'll be grown men. But, oh yeah. But what I'm saying is, they need to learn the game. And I bet you, Chris Paul, when it's all said and done, is gonna go right upstairs on in OKC. Oh, yeah. I don't think I thought Presti was going to try to trade Chris Paul to, before DeAndre Russell to Minnesota and try to get some more picks, but when he didn't and he kept Chris Paul in there, when I think he's keeping Chris Paul for the long haul, and I think Chris Paul is okay being the beloved son that he once was in OKC. I I think it could go go one of two ways. You you stick him upstairs. You have him focused on player development, yeah. and he really finds you know a nice little place for himself. Yeah. Or you go the way of, you know, a Jason Kidd or a Derek Fish and mm. say, okay, this is our head coach. And I don't think that has a huge legacy of helping, but, I mean, at this point, I wouldn't put anything past Chris Paul in terms of being able to be that leader off the court that the team needs. But I do think there's something to be said about a guy who has put himself into a leadership responsibility both on and off the floor developing into that kind of piece that a franchise can say, maybe there's something here, you know? This is this is what I think. You gotta remember, Chris Paul or Chris Paul was OKC's first love. That's right. Right? And he got OKC their team. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> After Hurricane Katrina, right? So Chris Paul doing what he's doing, like like I said, I didn't like Chris Paul. Now I, I I, totally respect what Chris Paul is doing. And what this is doing, don't be surprised if when it's all said and done, it will be that player development or coach or a percentage of that team. Ownership. And developing those. They have 15 picks. You can go 50% and you're still going to have seven and a half guys that are NBA ball players. That's a whole team. And you just look at what a team like the Celtics did. Right. Where they were amassing picks, and they struck out on, frankly, a higher percentage of them than they wanted, but they still got that core of guys. Right. Who that you could slot in a Pemba Walker or an L. Horford at the time around. Right. And get yourself a winning basketball team. Right. Like you said, are even half as successful as that. Where you find guys like Marcus Smarts and Jalen Brown who aren't going to be those transcendent superstars that it looks like a guy like Tatum's going to be. Right. They're just going to go there and support uh, 
shy and all those guys and, and just make a winning culture, then yeah, there's a lot of potential there, a lot to look forward to. Well, well, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> Jalen Brown is just as good, if not better, than Jason Tatum, in my opinion. In your I I think he's still, he's not the guy I, want him to, I wanted him to be out of college. Okay. But I've been, I have been impressed, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot to be said that he hasn't had to put the onus of of being the number one guy right. on that team's shoulders, but he does everything they're, they're asking him to do. Right. And, and I will agree with you on that. The fact that he – Jalen Brown's a different guy. He's a different yeah. kind of person. And, 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 and I mean that in, in a positive way. And I think that he knows he's better than Jason Tatum. Yeah. But his personality, his humility, his, his whatever that – his core, whatever it is, allow, his comfort, his security – allows him to be able to allow Jason Tatum to do his thing while he supports. And it's kind of like what the point guard is supposed to do. Uh-huh. It's kind of like what LaMelo Ball is going to do to RJ and Kevin Knox. You know, <laughs> I don't mind setting you up. I know I can get mine, but you getting yours is more beneficial to us as a team. Why are we? It's kind of like Iverson and Jerry Stackhouse. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like what we can't survive here. We both need the ball. It's like Kobe White and Zach Levine. We can't survive here. We both need the ball in our hands. Jalen Brown is like, I don't need, I'm going to get the ball in my hands. I'd rather you get yours. I'll wait. I'll get mine too because it's my personality. And that's why I think they're going to be successful. Don't sleep on Romeo Langford either. Oh, Romeo Langford. Like everything he contributes, I still think there might be something in Carson Edwards. There's definitely something in Carson Edwards. That's your backup for the next 10 years. He's your new Isaiah Thomas. Oh, you think it's the new Isaiah, not yeah. the new like Terry Rosier? Oh, Terry, no. as I call him, scary, scary Terry. No, he, no, he's he's gonna be loved like Isaiah Thomas was loved. Yeah, he's a little bowling ball, and he's gonna work hard for Boston, and he's gonna be there like Danny Ainge was, like Dennis Johnson was. He's gonna be there for probably the life of his career. Mm-hmm. I really think that. that. I really hope Robert uh, Williams. I really hope Robert Williams turns into something. I really got hopes for that kid. But all Boston needs is a, is a, a serviceable big. Right. A nice one. Yeah, they're, 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 they're going to be in an interesting situation depending on who they draw in the playoffs. Yes. Where if they're at a point where they can muscle you inside, despite not having that size, they'll thrive. But you put them up against, say, a Philadelphia, where suddenly they're expected to score on the, off the uh, off the perimeter consistently, it's going to be tough. Yeah, Philly, and I think Philly, the Raptors would be a nightmare as well for them. Philly is the one team that I will put, I would say with confidence, would beat Boston. Yeah, and frankly, I think it's the opposite way too. I'm not convinced Philly is going to make any any more noise than they have in years past. When you put exactly. up against Boston, I think they're just going to trade absolute most for six to seven games. Yes. I think the only team Philly can beat is Boston. They probably yeah. could beat Miami, maybe. But Toronto can beat uh Toronto can mess around and win this whole thing. I don't think Milwaukee's gonna I don't think Milwaukee's gonna win it. <clears throat> I think it's gonna be a team like it my Western Conference finals are gonna be uh the Clippers and Portland. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to see that. Yeah, Clippers and Portland. And I, I think the Clippers will beat Portland. And then my Eastern Conference Finals, I have, I had, and people are, are, are saying Philly sucks. I have Philly versus Boston. I have Philly. I just and I think Philly. I think Philly is going to lose to the Clippers in the finals. How many games? Probably like five. Probably five. Yeah, because because Kawhi and and Paul George are going to run Joel and Ben Simmons. They're going to do something different. They, we yeah. don't care about you guys. Go ahead, Montrez. You get on Joel. Ben, do whatever. We don't care. We'll put. We'll put Lou Williams. We'll put uh, Pat Beverly on you. We don't care. Oh God, put a mascot on him. <laughs> yeah, we'll put Pat Beverly. Just shoot your shot. Yeah, exactly. Because there's not much you can do out there. So Pat is yeah. five on four on defense. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Could you know how mean would it be to put a guy like Pat Beverly on Ben and Simmons and just be like, here, have this absolute tenacious bulldog of a defender. Have a guy who needs to try to drive past him to do anything at the rim. Exactly. Like, that's just cruel. That's exactly. mean. That's what I would do. I would put Pat Beverly on Ben Simmons. The only way you're getting in here is through that guy. Yes. He doesn't care if you put your 6'11 body on him. And Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul don't either, but we need them on the offensive end. They don't. They can't Absolutely. get be bruised. He doesn't mind getting bruised. Absolutely. <laughs> he yeah, likes that's it. That's bad business right there for, for, for that, for that yeah. matchup. Yeah. I can say this. His hair stands up differently when he gets hurt. <laughs> you see it. It's like, uh-oh, no Beverly's going Beverly. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. That's not Chicago in him. Yeah, oh, yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, you can see it. Yeah. Um. So who, who do you have? I have been, I've been thinking about this because I knew this question would happen. Yes. And so what I look for is a team that even if their shot's not falling, can find ways to score and can absolutely, you know, steal you off and lock you down, prevent you, just make it into an absolute war of attrition. And I think obviously that's the Clippers in the West. Yes. Where if they're in a situation in the playoffs that they'll take out the, you know, Donovan Mitchells, they'll take out the McCollums, the Lillards, they, they'll suffocate the Danny Greens, right. those role players that Anthony Davis and LeBron rely on to help supplement that spacing. And they'll just, you know, they'll, they'll wax you out like a candle. Right. And I think if they can get Montrez Harrell back and Lou Williams with at least, at least two games left in this bubble experience, give them some run, hopefully get a cakewalk in the first round of the playoffs enough to get your sea legs under you, then I think that's a team that towards the second round of the playoffs – is just going to shut you down. Now, for the East, I have I have a harder time figuring out where exactly I'm going with this. I think, obviously, Milwaukee all year has probably been the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. But I have trouble with how they performed in the playoffs, yep. how they've dealt with people locking up Giannis along the perimeter and forcing these role players. And these guys like... Bledsoe, who are sometimes brilliant, sometimes not, to carry the load. Guys like George Hill, who are going to somehow shoot, you know, 45% from three in the regular season, regular season and then just lose it. So, the curveball is, I think Toronto might win the East again. Woo. Just because they've got so many guys. Woo. Can you imagine if Toronto beats the Clippers, 
without Kawhi? I mean, oh my God, we the talking heads like Stephen A. Smith will be able to spend the rest of their careers talking about that. Yes, we he he we won he won with us. They said we wouldn't do anything without him. He won. He went to the championship again as expected. Yeah. But he ran into us, and we beat him. And we beat him. That would be I insane. Know. I have nothing bad to say about how Kawhi handled this. No, neither do I. Um, maybe some stuff about what happened in San Antonio, but I think he was nothing about professional and doing his business in Toronto. I have no problem with Kawhi. Necessary. I have no problem with Kawhi and the San Antonio divorce. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Pop. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Pop's adapt. Pop made his legacy being able to adapt to these different personalities yes. and. What is his excuse? I just had a guy in Kauai and his team that I just couldn't work with? No, I mean, it, it doesn't work like that. Right. Right. So, and I think clearly Kauai has left an impression on guys like Siakam right. and, and OG and even yeah. Terrence Davis yeah. and Norman Powell, yeah. where they have just for, formed this core of long, rangy dudes yeah. who just want to get you away from the basket yeah. and, just, and just, you know, and suffocate you. Yeah. And the long, fact that now too, Lowry and Fred Van Fleet are just scoring at will oh, is yeah. incredible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I thought Kyle Lowry was going to follow Kawhi to the Clippers next year before he signed that extension. That's what I thought. Because I'm a firm believer that DeMar DeRozan is going to the Lakers next year as a free agent. Oh, yeah. And I thought the only thing keeping Lowry in Toronto other than that contract was DeMar. Right, exactly. They're brothers. Yes. They're, they're basically brothers. Yes. And the fact that I think it really meant a lot to him, even without, even without DeMar, to win that championship and see how the North treated him, then signing that extension, like, he's going to be that figurehead the franchise yep. needed to keep shuffling in these young guys who are going to, just going to fit in, you know, these puzzle pieces. The crazy thing about it is, in game four, Five, I think when Draymond Kyle Lowry could have won the finals mm-hmm. but Draymond blocked the shot and I remember telling my buddies I said had Kyle Lowry made that shot it would have won the finals because they didn't have to go to the next game that would have been the statue in front of the um, in, in, at Jurassic Park huh? the fadeaway oh, yeah. more than the Kawhi jumper because that would have won the championship but Draymond blocked his legacy. Yes, definitely. But he'll still get a Kyle Lowry will still get a statue there. Oh, probably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Messiah will get a statue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Messiah will get statues. Definitely. Yeah. He'll, he'll get one in Africa, too, definitely. Yeah, I mean, for what he's doing yeah. to, to bring the game over there oh, internationally, yeah. oh, he's. Yeah. He's what? Maybe one of the Oh, yeah. Oh, your phone broke up there, so I want the people to hear that again. Yeah, I'm going to say it right here. Like, just in terms of what Masai means to the game international, you have to put him in as one of the, probably the top five most influential basketball fig- figures of the last two decades or so. I, I, would, have, I would have to agree with you 100%. I that think, might be over uh, underselling it, frankly. Yeah, I think he and David Stern should probably be on the same, and, and, and Adam Silver should probably all be on the same little conversation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Put definitely. Three, and then let's go uh, Michael Porter. 
the Fantastic Four. Oh, Michael Porter. <laughs> Junior, right? <laughs> Michael Porter Jr. changing the game. Yes, his father as well. Let's do Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure we get Michael the right Porter one. Jr. Hey, you know what? Michael Porter Jr. Bo, Bo. Goodness. I can't wait to see them next year. They're or be so in fun. two years. I can't wait to see them. They'll be dominating. And they're Oh, long. without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. And if Michael Porter can stay healthy, which is a huge question mark with him, if that cartilage in his knee can just hold out, there's no reason, top to bottom, that dude's not just a good ball player for the yeah. next decade. Yeah. Definitely. And he can score, he can shoot, he can play defense. He's got the type of personality that can take over that franchise and yeah. just make it the Michael Porter show, yeah. which, for good or ill, is going to be fun as hell to watch. Definitely. And Paul Millsap can teach him for the next year or two until that big contract falls off, and then it's Michael Porter's spot. Yeah, just his team. Yeah. Well, you got you got uh, Jamal Murray's in there, too. And, That's true. And, and, and don't forget about that big guy. <laughs> he was on an MVP pace. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so. Hey, Sean. We're going to make sure that we uh, keep this going because here's one thing I want to say before we before we wrap up. And, and this is and you and I kind of touched on this earlier in the week. With all the stuff going on in life, I'm hoping that you and I and, and Sean, you're making me you're making me look like a genius right now. So um, I'm hoping that you and I can kind of learn, kind of teach, kind of talk sports, laugh and, and kind of just, you know, hopefully the listeners kind of can see how two people. A Jewish kid and a black kid can be brothers and homies at the same time. No hate, all love, and and totally different backgrounds, but but we got major love for each other. And that's what's beautiful about ball. You know, it'll bring us together regardless of circumstance. And and that's what's good about sports. Like we shouldn't allow this to divide us. I mean, these are pretty crappy times, frankly. And the fact that, you know, there is common ground to be found anywhere you look, as, as long as you're willing to actually look for it instead of, you know, basing bias off preconceived notions and stereotypes. And you and I have never, you know, we've been able to find this friendship that's lasted since I was just some dumbass kid in college and uh, until I'm some dumbass adult in 2020. So uh, it's <laughs> working for us. Well, I wouldn't paint you that way. I, I would paint you <laughs> as, because, you know, I, like I said, if I see Deshaun Jackson, I might have to punch him just for you, you know. <laughs> so I appreciate that. He'll probably beat me up, but that's okay. Um, but like I said, I appreciate you, man. And, and you know, what we're going to do is continue to do this um, and continue to talk sports and all that other good stuff. Man, thanks, for, thanks for coming in. And, and yeah, I'm going to see you on the other side. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. All right. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube